The Long Box Crusade presents Monthly Monday Movie Muckabout because the podcasting world needs another movie review show. I am Rick, also known as Not Jeff from Jeff and Rick Presents, and I love movies. I've got this huge collection of movies, and I love to talk to people about movies. It's what I do. So sometimes I find people who haven't found a movie that I call a classic, but they haven't seen yet. So I invite them on my show, and we talk about it. That's it. That's what we do. And this week, I am so excited. I have got one of my favorite current comic book writers on the show. This is really awesome for me. Luckily, I live in Portland, so I've met him before, but I have got Mark Russell, the comic book writer famous for his DC stories, The Flintstones, Snagglepuss, Exit Stage Left, Wonder Twins, Swamp Thing, Superman vs. Imperius Rex, also Second Coming in Red Sonja. Mark, how are you doing, sir? I'm, do- I'm doing just fine, thanks. Thank you so much for being on the show. Like, like I said, I've kind of listed off a lot of my favorite comics. I know you've done more than that. Just these are the ones that I've picked up and that I could really quickly rattle off and before I bored everybody. But I'm I'm a big fan of what you what you do in writing world and comic books. Tell them, I mean, besides that, tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> oh, well, that, you know, that you just rattled off about probably about six years of my life. So uh, that's a pretty good start. I also do some creator-owned properties like uh, Billionaire Island and Second Coming, which I did for Ahoy. But uh, yeah, no, that's pretty much all I do is uh, sit around and, and write comic books. It's what I've done for the last five years anyway. I've also written a, a, a couple of books that are not comic books, but just regular prose books, nonfiction, both about the Bible, one called God is Disappointed in You, um, which is basically just a retelling of the Bible in modern language, kind of seen through my prism. And then uh, one called Apocrypha Now, which is about ancient Jewish and Christian texts that didn't make it into the canonical Bible, but which are still really important to our understanding of, uh, of Judeo-Christian teachings. So I, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much you know what I've done for the last ten years. I mentioned Second Coming. I totally forgot about Billionaire Island, which is also a wonderful book from Ahoy Comics that I love. Yeah, your prose books that does make sense of where you came from with Second Coming. That kind of fits in pretty nicely with with how you presented that and everything else. But we won't get too far into that. Let's move over a little bit and talk about movies. Are you a movie lover? I am. I consider myself a buff. I'm very distinct and deeply held opinions about movies and i can't wait to like evangelize about movies that i really like and so yeah i i I really like the premise of this show because there are times where i encounter somebody they betray a huge deficit in their movie watching history my wife particularly it's like sometimes i'm astonished i mean just dumbfounded by movies she hasn't seen and then like this is what we're doing tonight we're watching this movie so it's nice to be on the receiving end of that sort of you know aggression for once and being forced to watch a movie being frog marched back to the tv and being forced to watch a movie that i that i've somehow overlooked you have got it right down you 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 have perfectly solidified exactly what this is what what i do on the show i love getting people on i love trying to capture that nostalgia of hey we're gonna watch a movie together something i've seen and i love and you haven't seen come on this is gonna be fun and the person's got that glazed over look and like yes but what well, yeah, why are you like, tying oh, me down because you're gonna watch the movie yeah they have that look like of somebody who's been talked into like going to like a timeshare <laughs> seminar or something <laughs> yep, like, oh, yep, great. exactly exactly so you get the premise of this you understand exactly what it's like well yeah. i I guess we should just dive right into it. Are you ready for me to tell you what movie I want you to watch? Yes. 
All right, I'm going to take you all the way back to 2003, and I know that this is going to come out in July, which it seems like the wrong time of the year to give you a movie like this, but that's okay. I want you to sit down and watch the Christmas comedy Elf from 2003. Okay, and it's one of those movies that when I, I mentioned that you know when people talk about it, and I mentioned I haven't seen it, they just look at me like I'm like I'm from Mars or something. It's like how could you have not? You were you were an adult in 2003. How could you you know not? And I think that's maybe why I didn't see elephant when it first came out was because i just assumed it was a kid's movie or you know, didn't really take it seriously but i've i've since learned from others that that was a mistake and that i should go back and, and watch elf yeah yeah and that's what i was going to ask you is let me ask you this what do you know about this movie what have you heard about it so far I, i've heard that it's like underrated comedy and it's not just a christmas picture it's uh, also sort of a sort of a, a coming of age or a, like sort of a, i guess what i would say like a pinocchio story uh, of sorts yeah so yeah, okay, I can see that. But yeah, otherwise, I don't know too much about it. Um, it's a holiday movie starring Will Ferrell, and a lot of people seem to really like it. <laughs> well, yeah, it that's a good place to leave it. I think you've pretty much encapsulated you know, why you haven't seen it and what you know about the movie. It does star Will Ferrell. It is pretty much the directorial debut of John Favreau as well. So keep that in your mind. I had no idea that, that John Favreau had even directed that. Yeah. I, that's news to me. I This is how it's like a dark corner in my, my movie consciousness. But. You have to keep in mind that the guy who directed this went on to produce Endgame. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> right. So keep that in mind as you're thinking about things. They should have had Will Ferrell show up as the elf in, uh, in Avengers Endgame, you know, like in the background. One of the thousands of heroes running around. We haven't really figured out everybody in the background yet. I'm sure he might yeah. be pixelated in there somewhere. How are the ducks in there, man? I mean, anybody could be in there. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, I am going to let you go right now. I'm going to let you sit down with your family, maybe even, you know, tape your wife to the couch as well. Maybe your kids and sit down, check out Elf. We're going to listen to the trailer and we'll be right. Hi. Your costume is pretty. Oh, it's not a costume. I'm an elf. Oh. Well, technically I'm a human, but I was raised by elves. New Line Cinema presents the story of one elf who's coming home for Christmas. Boy. Can't wait to see my dad. We're, we're going to go ice skating and eat sugar plums. <laughs> Sorry. Now. I think someone sent you a Christmas gram. Dad. We should call security. Good idea. I like to whisper too. Buddy's experiencing a world he never knew existed. But he's your son. What am I going to do? He, he's certifiably insane. <laughs> Discovering what it takes to fit in. And going where no elf has gone before. What he needs is to be nurtured. Bring him home. Introduce him to Emily and Michael. How long do you think you'll be with us? I was thinking, like, forever. You can't just throw him out in the snow. He loves the snow. He's told me 15 times. Ow! Son of a nutcracker! We can take him. Where did you say you were from? This holiday season. I think you're beautiful and my tongue swells up when I am around you. Get ready. I plan out our whole day. I thought maybe we could make gingerbread houses and maybe even hold hands. For a tall tale. How are we going to get the star on top? Of elfish proportions. I got it. Will Ferrell. Okay, people, Santa's coming to Santa! Oh, my God! I know him. I know him. Elf. 
Do you remember me? I do. I didn't recognize you. I know. I'm in work clothes. I didn't know you had elves here. Boy, you're you're hilarious, my friend. Did you have to borrow a reindeer to get down here? Hey, you're feeling strong, my friend. Call me elf one more time. He's an angry elf. Look at you. Ow. Buddy the elf, what's your favorite color? Put that down. And we are back. Now, for those of you that, for some reason, still have not seen Elf, let me give you a quick synopsis of what the film is about. One magical Christmas, a small boy at an orphanage sneaks into Santa's bag of toys and hitches a ride back to the North Pole. He is adopted by one of the elves and raised as one of their own. Obvious to everyone, except Buddy, is that he is human. One Christmas, Buddy is told of his true origin and encouraged to find his father, who never knew he existed, in New York City. Walter Hobbs is not a pleasant man. He, as Santa put it, is on the naughty list. He does not spend time with his family, he makes mean decisions at work, and he just does not understand, believe, or get this new son that has just appeared in his life. Can Walter and the world understand or believe Buddy in time to save Santa Claus and Christmas? Now, Mark... You've had some time to watch this movie because we haven't talked for a little while. What was your first impression in watching this movie? I think my first impression was that this seems kind of old to me, even though it was only made about 15 years ago. And I think the reason why it seemed kind of dated to me at first was because it has such optimism. <laughs> and which, I, which is kind of what drew me to it, which is kind of what drew me in. It's like you don't see too many movies like this about just genuinely nice people trying to navigate. And even the the sort of corrupt world he was trying to navigate wasn't that corrupt. I felt like, oh, these people have no idea what's what's coming. They have no idea what's in store for them. <laughs> but that was, uh, to me, part of its charm. I can agree with that. I, ha I had to look for a second because this is a 2003 movie. And so I wanted to say, well, yeah, they don't even have the, the negative or black feelings coming out of 9-11. But yeah, they do. This is a couple years after 9-11. That makes it even more amazing that there is this deep-suited hope right and that the negativity which now <laughs> is even deeper it's almost polyanic hopefulness you know yeah yeah it's interesting that you bring that up because i hadn't really thought about it in that terms that 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 is what makes it more of that timeless quality just that straight up hope and kind of refreshing for for viewers of our age i think mm -hmm. we came out of the 90s which that was cynical in and of itself. And 2000s kind of helped solidify that. So I think you're right. This does feel more like an 80s movie with yeah. that kind of, aw, shucks, we're revisiting the 50s happy ideals. Yeah, even, even people in Yorkshire are these sort of like wholesome sort of nostalgia, you know, which no place has ever really existed like as is portrayed in it. But in a way, it's because obviously it's about an elf and it's about the sort of magical realism. It's its own time and place. Yeah. I would agree. Did it meet up with the expectations? Because you obviously had heard about this movie before. Yeah, no, it, you know, people had spoke to me in the hushed tones of a classic. And it's weird that I'd gone this far in life without having seen Elf. But yeah, no, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a, 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 it worked not only as a sort of a Christmas story, but also on its own as a comedy. Like, I think that that's kind of the way I try to view it. It's like, if I were like watching this as Christmas viewing, would it still work? And for me, it did. I thought, I thought it was a, really well-executed comedy. My wife 
during the past year and not during Christmas time. I want to say it was probably in October, actually. I was out of town and she wanted to watch a movie and she's like, well, let's watch Elf. And she was upset that she couldn't find it down in my movie collection. And she was very angry at me. I was like, well, it's not even Christmas time. And yeah. She likes the movie that much that she wants to watch it even outside of the season. So I think you were correct about that being a broad comedy and not just a yeah. holiday movie. But yeah, you're right. It reminds me of the sort of broad comedies we used to watch all the time in the 80s. And yeah, where even the bad people are not that bad. Like you're not very, <laughs> you're not terribly scared of the burglars in Home Alone. You know, no. you're not worried about them like torturing or murdering anybody. Like what about Bob? Where it's like, even though like, like the doctor tries to murder Bob, it's, it's like, you can't help but sort of sympathize with everyone in the movie. You mentioned Home Alone and I just can't help but thinking, I, I actually am more worried about the guys in Home Alone because I think they did a count and they actually died like four or five times considering some of the traps they went through. But yeah. Yeah. I actually have more sympathy for them sometimes watching that <laughs> film. Let's talk about some of the characters in this. And I think we got to start off with Buddy. Here is one of one of Will Ferrell's first real big lead roles that he had. And he comes out of the gate swinging. Yeah, we knew him in SNL at this point in time, but lifting this entire comedy on his shoulders at the time seemed kind of amazing. How do you think he did? Well, I think he just leaned into the character. I think where a lot of actors might have think, well, okay, I got to give this character some depth. I got to like round it out a little bit. How does he grow? Will Ferrell just sort of like approach it more like a, a Saturday Night Live skit where it's like, no, this is who the character is. We know the character from the beginning and that's the same character you have at the end. And really the growth happens all around them. It's really more the story of everyone around Buddy and how they change because of this sort of appearance of this sort of ingenue in their lives. And so I think that was the right decision just to like double down on the character and being what it is and not try to Olivier it too much and then allow the sort of nuances to happen around the character yeah i can definitely see that he is coming in bigger than life he dwarfs pretty much everybody in the film which is again part of the physical comedy shtick it almost reminds me a bit of the frantic robin williams-esque type of a performance yeah. and yet pulled in where he's not going yeah. off on too many of the wild excursions but he's got that manic energy the thing that i think yeah that would have been very different had this been a robin williams performance is that it would have been more about the energy what about more yeah. about him like running up and down the street and annoying people or doing funny little bits and gags whereas this is much more of a uh, of a character driven comedy where it's just about the idea of this sort of this guy who's basically a ideological like stalinist for fun and christmas sort of being dropped in the middle of like this of like sort of cynical new york manhattan sort of wall street culture and how it would you know which one would give first and that i thought was really the the right approach just letting everything sort of emanate out of the purity of this character and seeing how other people would react to it rather than you know trying to do too much with the character or having the character do you know falling back on things that might be more comfortable to the actor, like sort of creating these, these set gags and stuff to rather just letting the character be the source of all the comedy. You've got somebody who in Will Ferrell is larger than life. He has the energy, he has the excitement and the other comedy heavyweights you've got in this film are Ed Asner and of course, Bob Newhart and oh, Bob, yeah, Bob Newhart was fantastic. Yeah. Bob Newhart, especially though, his type of humor is more of the low key, yeah. Every man quiet. 
and matched up with Will Ferrell, I think that was an amazing pairing because you still get the comedy genius that is Bob Newhart with this barely contained energy within Will Ferrell. Yeah, right. It's the it's the polar opposite, but in the same culture. It's like he's this understated sort of like saying the trying to be say things between the lines and you know being sort of like the uh, Bob Newhart's. I would describe Bob Newhart's comedy as being like the only sane man in the room. <laughs> where he kind of says the things that the audience should be thinking and thereby exposing how crazy it is that we are kind of like, we understand the, or that we don't really mention these things. And I think that he does the Bob Newhart placed in this, in this scenario just works so well, as you say, as sort of a counterplay to the excited gullibility of the elf character and, and how much he's sold on sort of Christmas and the purity of everything. Bob Newhart knows something that he doesn't and is able to sort of sort of take it down a notch for the audience. But I think the way Bob Newhart is in that sense, the sane man in the room tempering our understanding of, or, you know, he's saying what the, the way, the, the sort of things that the, the audience is imagining, Buddy needs to sort of like understand if he's going to go out in the real world, which I thought worked really well. I like how you said that Bob Newhart is a sane man in the room because that gives us, the audience, the verification or the stamp of approval that everything we see is real. Right. Bob Newhart is considering all the things that he is doing and the world he lives in as normal everyday stuff. And he is approaching it as that. It's not over the top. Yeah. He he is selling the reality of the world as fact. Right. It's sort of like in the Soviet Union, you know, you had the, the operachniks, the people who understand that this is like above and all else, a bureaucracy, and it mm -hmm. has to function like a bureaucracy. And then you've got like the true believers, the, the young revolutionaries and the young pioneers and the, uh, the people who are uh, bought into the, the or drunk the Kool-Aid. And it's really, you rarely see them, those two types of characters interact in film. So it was really cool to see the operachnik who understands this is just a bureaucracy and you need to sort of understand it as such and then the true believer sort of like have this moment in in a movie about christmas i need to say that this might be the first review of elf that has brought the soviet union involved into it <laughs> yeah. so I, I i hooray for us that's, yeah that's my hot cake <laughs> it's sort of sovietology <laughs> in disguise the other real standout sort of character for me side character was the, the peter dinklage <laughs> super angry author of children's books the yeah. chip on his shoulder yeah. To me, that was like probably the funniest moment in the film when when they brought him to work on the on the on the Christmas thing. Brought in the ringer to yeah, right, the, give them the, ideas, and and he's got he's got a book here. I've got I've got gold in this book. <laughs> As a writer yourself, the fact that you have somebody who th there are so many contradictions in and of themselves within this, you could say, oh look, you've got somebody who resembles a child writing kids books, but he is very much proto-adult <laughs> yeah no he literally acts like it like he owns a gold mine you like acts yeah, more like yeah. you know somebody like one of the Koch brothers like somebody you would think who writes children's books but you know again like the bob newhart character he realizes that writing is ultimately when all is said and done a capitalist enterprise that this is you you're sitting on a little whatever pile of gold you've got and you and if you want it then you've got to you've got to pay up for it and, and so I, I think in a lot of ways he underscored the idea that the real world, even when it's selling you something happy and full of and uncynical, it is doing it in a very self-serving and cynical way. Yeah. And the fact that Peter Dinklage, way years prior to Game of Thrones, comes in and all of a sudden is in this movie 
as a standout performance that goes toe-to-toe with Will Ferrell, that's a treat in and of itself as well. Last night, I, I uh, rewatched Living in Oblivion, which I think was the first movie I'd ever seen Peter Dinklage in. And it was like about, it was from 1995. And it's, it's about the independent film scene of the, the 90s. Uh-huh. And he plays very much the same sort of character in that, where he's just kind of coming in and he's brought in to like be a dwarf in a dream sequence. And he, but he doesn't, he obviously doesn't want to be there. Doesn't put his heart in. And finally he just has this meltdown where he's like saying, it's like, why do you have me here? Is it because I need a dwarf to make it a dream sequence? He's like, that's so cliche. He's like, I'm a dwarf and I don't even have dwarves in my dream. <laughs> and he just is sort of the guy who reminds you that, that this is a charade sort of. Yeah. Yeah. A brilliant actor. And, and he is, you know, as much as we know him from Game of Thrones, he's really got major comedy chops. Yes. Yes, he does. Who doesn't have comedy chops and who is a mystery in this film, but his perfect casting is James Conn. Oh, yeah. I don't know if they could have gotten a more dour or serious person to come in to play this father in this extremely broad comedy. But, I mean, how did he do? How did he do as the ultimate straight man? Yeah, I thought he did okay. It was, I think, kind of a stretch for James Conn. And I love James Conn, but I felt like, in a way his presence made me kind of wonder how dark this was going to go. And then when the answer was like, not very dark, then I felt like, well, why did they get James Conn? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He brings a level of fear and unknown. He's uncomfortable in the film and he makes you uncomfortable by being there. Yeah. He, he he's kind of unsettling because you just, ha- yeah, he has this sort of star baggage where it's like when he shows up, you think, Oh, I think I know where this, this is going to go now, which is perhaps why they cast him because it subverts your expectations. But yeah, it was for me over a little while, a little disorienting. There's some background stuff I've seen in this film where they've talked about how a few of the scenes, especially when they first brought him in, they're going, okay, here comes James Caan. You know, let's all be on our best behavior. You know, let's, you know, don't bug him. You know, let's not do anything. And there were a few scenes where Will Ferrell just kept pushing, just kept pushing, just kept pushing. And everyone was just afraid that he was going to snap. And there are a few times where he was just getting really angry on set. He was like, what is going on? I don't get this film. I don't get what's happening. But he stuck it out. And he ended up having fun with the crew. And he ended up saying, look, you know, I am just James Caan. I am not everything you think it is. Let's just do the film. Don't everybody be scared of me. But there was a fear on the film because it's like, this is a guy from The Godfather. You know, is he going to snap at us? Is is there going to be a problem? <laughs> yeah. I just, you know, from a dramatic perspective, I just thought, okay, well, there's going to be a moment where they they take this story, they take this elevator down a floor, which changes my perception of this universe entirely. But that never happened. The elevator never went. There are a couple of scenes where it it almost does. It it starts to. One is where he is, I think it's right after he gets him out of jail. And they're walking down and he's like, well, you're my dad. And he pushes Will Ferrell up against the wall and he gets in his face. It's like, oh, okay, there's a little bit of that. And then the other time, which is well played, was at the board meeting where he's got to present the ideas on Christmas and his son comes in. And the president of the company or the one guy from the company says, hey, get out of here, kid. He turned, don't talk to my kid like that. And it's a great use of the con at that moment to to add the level of danger to the film to somebody who's threatening a kid. Yeah. And I think it's well used in that aspect. And it's like, I can can see why they would choose James Conn for this. And also just for the wide gap between Will Ferrell and this guy. I think that was it. They they really wanted somebody who's going to be like sort of the polar opposite to the uh, the buddy character and, and and he pulled it off i thought it, yeah. his performance was really effective 
it's just internally with me because of the star baggage. I was, <laughs> I, I was disoriented for a little while. It took me a little while to buy into like the idea that no, this isn't going to go the direction that I would assume it would go because James Conn's in it. It's going to go its own way. It's going to go the way it's, it's paved for itself. Well, and, and also we had say James Conn being the editor of children's books. That's a stretch. Yeah. <laughs> well <laughs> but i love the idea it was like one of my favorite sort of conceits of the film is that like the children books industry is like this cutthroat industry full of it, it's run more, sort of like how i would imagine like the fossil fuel industry or the uh, <laughs> something like that like diamond sellers or something blood, they're like they're selling blood diamonds the the next thing that happens at this company is they get Baldwin's character in from Glenn Gary Glenn Ross to do the coffee speech on them and and so that that's the next thing that happens we just don't see it <laughs> um, yeah this is one of the first films that John Favreau made this is the first really commercially acceptable film that he actually got out there what do you think about that as far as just an early director his early effort that he's actually got with this comedy film i think it was a good choice because early in your career you want to do something that's distinctive something that's not going to be maybe be successful but fit seamlessly and forgettably into the canon of other rom-coms or other police procedurals you want to do something that's not only a unique flavor but kind of fits in its own genre a little bit and i think that that's what elf did for him it was really sort of a distinctive picture so that when somebody says he's the guy who directed elf Everyone kind of knows what that means. Everyone, oh, okay, I, 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 I know what this flavor is. I know what I know what to expect now. Whereas, you know, there's a million other movies uh, that might have also been successful. Where if you said this was the director of you know that movie, they'd been like, well, that tells me nothing about them because this movie is indistinguishable from the hundred other genre movies that were also successful. We kind of been for the most part waxing poetic on this film. Is there anything that? really didn't work for you or is there something that kind of sticks out with you and says i'm not sure why they did that i wouldn't say there was anything that didn't work i felt like the end was a little cliche the guy who does not actually believe in christmas having to come out believe in christmas and him being the one saved santa's life to me i was kind of broadcast well ahead you know part of it is like well yeah but this is like a christmas movie and the idea mm -hmm. is that kids are gonna be watching it doesn't have to like have an unanticipated ending it doesn't have to be blue velvet or something you know, you know? And, and so i had to sort of like remind myself that was probably just film snobbery but at the same time i felt like i saw it coming well ahead of time and it felt like to me if this the movie's kind of snoozed at all or just sort of sleepwalking through its plot that would that would be the point in which it was which is understandable because endings are hard and you have to sort of like at once sort of satisfy all of the the expectations the audience has and tie up all these loose ends. So to do that and to be surprising is really sort of extra hard. But to me, that would be my one criticism is that I just felt like the ending was a little too predictable. I could agree with that. I also agree with what you said that in trying to make a film, especially one that has stood the test of time and that is accessible for everybody. This last Christmas, I found out that my parents had not seen Elf yet. And so I threw it on and my mother loved it. My dad didn't because my dad's a grouch. But that's beside the point. But it, it has to be accessible for everybody. Right. And it has to be something that anybody can walk into and not feel scared or afraid of at the same time. Yeah, it's predictable. But that, like you said, that's also what we kind of expect from a good 
Christmas movie. If you're watching, a, as you described it, a broad comedy, that's mm-hmm. what you're kind of in for. Yeah. So, you know, it's a criticism within the scope of you know my film snobbery, but not really within the scope of like they made a really effective broad comedy, which is really hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let me ask you, is there anything else that you really want to talk about? We've kind of been all over the board with the film. Is there anybody else or any other scenes that you want to talk about or discuss before we kind of wrap it up? You know what? I I was also kind of really blown away by all the Christmas decorations that that Buddy does. And to me, it was just from like a set design perspective. It's like, wow, somebody really had to come up with all this stuff. And that was very impressed by that. The entire scenery of the movie or all the sets in the movie, even back into the North Pole and how that set up the allusions to Rankin Bast style animation and feelings to the over the top decorations at the department store and inside the house as well. It all goes into that feeling of Christmas. But you're right. It is huge. And they are selling Christmas, 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 and also selling how much this is Buddy, that he is a representative for Christmas as an organization, <laughs> as a company, as a product, right. and how he has to sell it every time. He, ha- he can't be anywhere and not make it Christmas related. Yeah, outside the North Pole, I mean, all the, the locations of the film are pretty predictable real world places. The streets mm-hmm. of New York, apartment store, they're sort of upper middle class or lower upper class house. Mm. And yet they did a really good job uh, with the set design of making these places sort of like beachheads for Buddy where he's taken over. He has turned these places into his own sort of like world. The moment he establishes himself in a spot, it must be Christmas. This, I must be surrounded by Christmas. It's his own magic. And and he always doubts himself. He's like, well, I, I can't do it as well as everybody else. You can't do it as well as an elf, maybe. But you're beyond the pale as far as a human goes. Yeah. With that, let me ask you the real big question we've got. <clears throat> How many full bags of Christmas-themed popcorn would you give this film? We do one to five here, no halvesies. What do you think of this film? I'm going to give it four bags of popcorn. I really liked it. It's a genre I am always a little uncomfortable with, and they did a good job of winning me over for this film. Like I said, I did feel like the ending was a little predictable and it got a little too sort of middle of the road Hollywood, but it doesn't change the fact that they did, which is maybe the hardest thing to do for me, which is to make a really funny and effective broad comedy and a Christmas movie to boot, which I'm always sort of a little trepidatious about going into a Christmas movie because I expect it to be, you know, predictable and, and not very full of treacle and, and not and lacking substance. But this this was this was good. I'm agreeing with you on the four, and I will put it out here that in a few more years, this is probably going to turn into a five. For me. Like you said, how timeless this movie feels and only being made the beginning of 2000 is amazing. And I think in a few more years, this is going to be really established. I think it already is close to being established as one of the quintessential Christmas movies. And I think that once we get even farther from its origin time, I think, and and especially if we go farther down our current world's trajectory, we are going to be looking for movies like this and it's going to become something of a treasure. So I can, I can see this becoming even more important to me as a film, as it goes forward right now, it's at a very strong four, but I could see this one day becoming a five for me. Hmm. 
Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate this. I know you're a busy person with all the comic books that you're writing. Is there anything that you got coming out now that you'd like to tell the folks about? Or is there anything, any of your works that you'd like to plug? Yeah, the trade for uh, Not All Robots, the comic I did with AWA about a future where all the jobs are held by robots and every house has a robot that's sort of its breadwinner. That just came out recently. Also, there's a trade coming out with the first five issues of My Bad, my superhero comedy that I'm co-writing with Bryce Ingman for, from Ahoy Comics. And both One Star Squadron and Batman Urban Legend are out now, being published now by DC. So those are my, my plugs, I guess. I need to get the trade of My Bad. I seem to have missed that, unfortunately. One Star Squadron is a hoot. I'm enjoying the heck out of that. Thanks. And I do need to get caught up on the Batman one. That's another one that has slipped by me. Otherwise, I usually catch most of your books if I possibly can. Yeah, that one's a little weird because you're writing with a bunch of other writers and there's four stories that are being serialized in the same issue. So it's not just your comic. It's it's a, but it, which is great because I get to read every all, all, all these other writers and what they're doing and artists and it's a really cool collection to be part of. But yeah, I'm writing the story about about Batman and Ace. That's of the current run. That's the one I'm writing. Yeah, I definitely need to pick it up. Then I didn't realize you were writing about Batman and Ace, and that that's going to sell it to me even more. So now, if you haven't checked out any of Mark Russell's work, I highly, highly recommend it. He is one of my favorite writers, and He's another guy here in Portland. I, I got to pull out all the books and some point in time, show up on your doorstep and say, hey, please sign all these. <laughs> <laughs> but I really appreciate you being on the show and I've tried to get you back to do another movie sometime soon. I promise you. If you would like to find me, you can find me on Twitter at mmuckabout or on my other podcast, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, which I host with my snowman made of yellow snow, Jeff. If you would like to be on the show, please feel free to contact me. You can reach me at jeffandrickpresent, all one word, at gmail.com. Big thank you to the Longbox Crusade for letting me use this wonderful attic of their headquarters. Sorry about all the Christmas decorations. I will try to get Pat to take them down sometime soon. If you would like to support this network, you can head on over to Patreon and search for Longbox Crusade and give them some money. They would appreciate it. For now, grab some popcorn and pull up a seat because we will be back in one month with another episode. And actually, it will be our 50th episode. Yes! The music for this episode is Fall Back by musical genius Joe November. Check out his SoundCloud at josephlin99. That's J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-9-9.